Welcome to the SDG Talks podcast, where we discuss all things around the Sustainable Development Goals and the roadmap to 2030. We are your co-hosts, James and Kevin, here to take you along the SDG ride. We hope you enjoyed today's SDG Talks podcast. Today I'm joined by Tiago Jesus, a senior project manager at People's Palace Projects, an arts organisation based at Queen Mary University of London. Tiago works on cross-cultural initiatives between Brazil and the UK, and currently his main project is an ongoing programme of artistic residencies for cultural preservation at the Kukuro Indigenous Territory in the Xingu Amazon region. Since its start, Tiago has produced three expeditions to the region, a BBC World Service radio documentary and various exhibitions including an immersive VR experience raising awareness of these populations. Tiago strives to conceive and deliver projects which utilise the arts to alleviate social crises. We need to recognise there's very little opportunity for indigenous communities to tell their stories on their own way. Post-colonial bias tend to think that they are primitive when actually they are our contemporaries. They are our best allies in the fight for climate crisis. So I thought we could just we could just go in actually yeah. um, on the work you've been doing in Brazil. It would actually be really great to hear an overview about what you have been doing in Brazil and your connections to indigenous peoples in Brazil. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I am project manager at an arts research centre here in London at Queen Mary University. And we, we work bringing together artists, activists, researchers, academics on participatory projects that happen in Brazil and the UK for positive change. So my background, I moved to London in 2010 to do a master's in visual culture. And that's how it all started because I moved to London. I, I've always worked around communications and media, but for causes and moving to London and meeting these organizations that I work for, People's Policy Projects, allowed me to actually bring my, my, my expertise uh, with Brazil to the UK. And, I, and I, yeah, so that's, that's how it all started. And I've been working with them since actually. So the indigenous work that, that I, I do and I lead is is one of the various works, of the various strands of work that we do. And it's all about bringing together those people to think about how we can use arts methodologies or practices and technologies to support and promote some change with vulnerable communities. in Brazil. So we do work in Rio with some poor communities in favelas. We work with young people on uh, entrepreneurship projects as well. We do some work with homeless people in Rio. And the, the indigenous work is one of the one of the strands of, of, of what we do. Awesome. Well, you, you mentioned there that you, you touched on lots of different sort of groups that are living in Brazil. And you mentioned also the indigenous people. And I know that a lot of people know Brazil for their uncontacted tribes that are living in the heart of the Amazon jungle. But I think for people who actually they know anything about Brazil, it would be interesting to know what is that indigenous population landscape really like and how many tribes are there in existence, um, how many are uncontacted, how many are exposed to the 21st century world, what is the, the landscape really like? Absolutely. So I, as I was telling you, I lived in Rio before moving to London, I lived in Rio for 25 years and during that whole period 
I have had very little contact with indigenous communities, to be honest. And I think it's important to, to say this. So it mm. gives you a little bit of a sense of the disconnection that mm. an average Brazilian person has to these communities. Mm. I, I really only engaged with an indigenous person when I moved to London, uh, mm. uh, well, six years ago, when I started working with them from my work. But there are 305 ethnic groups living in Brazil today, and 100 of them live isolated in the rainforest. And uh, I, I got some data, interesting data to tell you as well. So there are, at the moment, there are 274 languages being spoken by these communities. And, uh, and the total number of people, of indigenous people in Brazil is 900,000, which is mm -hmm. only 0.5% of Brazil's population. One third of them live in peripheral urban areas, and two thirds live in the countryside, mostly in, in the indigenous reserves. And there are 724 indigenous territories. And these lands are all often, you know, illegally invaded for mining, for logging and for farming. This is a little bit of where we are today, but I think it's important to talk a little bit about, uh, about the, the historical perspective, how we got there, because it is estimated that before the European colonization, there were between two and three million people, indigenous people, living in the land. Three, three times as many as there are today. Exactly. And there are 2,000 nations and tribes. And there are nowadays it's 305. And these communities were decimated by diseases like flu, like measles, smallpox, tuberculosis, and all of that. And they, they sort of endured three centuries of colonization, uh, mm. uh, surviving slavery, uh, assimilation, land invasions. And by the end of the 19th century, there were only 250,000 of them. So as you said, it's, 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 it's a genocide. You know? yeah. yeah. It's been a, been a bit of a bounce back as well then in recent years. Absolutely. Exactly. So things started to change on the, on the, on the beginning of the 20th, 20th century when there were the establishment, the establishment of the first indigenous reserves, the creation of the National Foundation for Indigenous Peoples, and also one really important uh, landmark is the, 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 the Constitution 1988, when there was the recognition of indigenous rights. So there is this increase, they are, they are, they are stronger and they are growing nowadays, you know, they, but they consistently are resisting racism, marginalization, mm -hmm. exploitation, violence, assimilation of so many problems, uh, displacement, mm. poverty. And this is not just a problem with indigenous communities in Brazil. I think this is, is something that's global. Uh, globally, 5% of the world population is indigenous. So that's around 370 million people. And they, and they account for the 15% of people living in extreme poverty. And they're the most marginalized and vulnerable group. So you have a... It's quite shocking, that, isn't it? It is. In, in Brazil, I mean... You said quite a lot of them live in peripheral urban areas. Uh, what kind of level of assimilation do you see? And, you know, things like language, you, you said that they all, a lot of these groups have their own unique languages. Mm -hmm. um, is Brazilian something that is <clears throat> taught widely in these groups or do they have access to education? Yeah, I'm just wondering if you had any sort of, sort of overview on, on how that operates. Is it quite independent to the state, these groups on the reserves or...? It, it really depends. I think it really depends on, on the community, on the history of the community and how close they are to the, the city centre. I think there are so many levels of assimilation. I think there are so many communities that are, for example, they, 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 they were Christianized and now they have evangelical churches. Uh, 
uh, and they, they lost their religion, they lost the language. Most of these communities who live in the center, in mm-hmm. urban centers, they do speak Portuguese. Some of mm-hmm. them manage to keep their native language alive. Uh, mm-hmm. It really depends. It really depends. So, for example, in Rio, in the city that I come from, you would see lots of descendants, you know, of, of, of indigenous people. But they, they, most of them live in, in, in the most vulnerable areas of the city, in, in, in favelas. Um, so it, it really depends. I think each community or each group of people have their own uh, history of, of survival and of resistance. There are some that manage to keep their traditions and their and, and the language and the rituals very much alive but there's some of them who actually struggle much harder to mm-hmm. actually uh keep the traditional ways of living nowadays mm-hmm. yeah and i think actually first i just realized i had a massive brain fart and i said <clears throat> brazilian instead of portuguese <laughs> two minutes ago <laughs> the language but the there point is a I discussion to... <laughs> around that. Why do we speak Brazilian Portuguese? Brazilian ah, Portuguese. Okay, so yeah. I, can, I can't say Brazilian. Yeah. That's, that, that you can say good. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I actually remember you saying that for some of them, a lot of them, the the language it might, it might not be written. It might just only be spoken. Yeah, I think oral it's history it. is something that is very important for for most of them because mm-hmm. that's how their knowledge is shared. Is it survives? It's, it's the orality mm-hmm. of the language. It's the singing. It's the ritual it's the stories you know they the community that i work with the kikuru for example they learned how to write on their own language uh but but the story is that everything comes from the stars comes from the nature come from the river you know there there is a, a different sense of belonging and of the self you know that it, it's very different from 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 the western way of thinking i think yeah so it's yeah. it's it's part of a whole, you know, the individual is more yeah. of a whole, the nature whole. Is that yeah. how? They... I'm not an anthropologist, yeah. James. I have. To say. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I won't corner you. Won't won't corner that one. <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is that everything that I'm 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 sharing is it it's it's very much based on my my experience working with the communities and my own discoveries as well with them. Mm. So it's a journey what? for me. Yeah. Yeah, massively. <laughs> And I think, yeah, I can completely understand that, especially, you know, for you, you don't speak their language and you're coming into, like you said, you lived in, in Rio for 25 years, but you hadn't really had any contact with indigenous peoples. And it's yeah. just a whole new world when you go in there. But Absolutely. you mentioned that it's really good, you know, that they they tell amazing stories and they can pass these on through the generations and they've, they they write as well so they can preserve their culture and uh, through that. But I'm, I'm wondering... Kind of work are you trying to do to preserve um and you can use the specific example of the kikuri if, if um yeah if that makes sense absolutely so the, the community that i work with is they are they call the kikuru mm-hmm. and they live in the indigenous the shingu indigenous territory which is in the south basin of the amazon and they are they're quite technological actually uh so although they they have this very traditional life they live off the land they fish they have their ancestral rituals they speak their own language and all of that so they live the, the biggest part of their lives is exactly as it was 100 1000 years ago but at the same time that this happens they have iphone 11 they have they speak portuguese they play football every day they listen to <laughs> hip-hop you know so they are in this it's it's incredible i remember the first time that i arrived in the village i was much more photographed and filmed the other way around so that was you know 
So that's something you expect. Exactly. So, and, and I think that that's a key point. You know, I think we tend, I think our our bias, our post-colonial bias, tend to think that they are primitive when actually they are our contemporaries. And I think that's what mm. is most important to say. Mm. We, they, they do need to transition to modern society. They they are contemporaries. You know, they are a modern society. Mm. You know, they are negotiating their existence with us. With, with everything. So, so they appropriate these elements from our culture uh, and at the same time they, they, they refuse others. So for example, the church in this community is forbidden. You can't drink, you can't smoke. Um, mm. They have one generator because they don't have electricity. So they have a generator that they turn on and off and it generates mm. you know, power to the community for a couple of hours. And, and when they turn it on, they have access to internet. So everyone has social media, everyone has Facebook, everyone is on WhatsApp. But at the same time that they have that, the chief knows that if the generator is on for 24 hours a day, this will affect so much their daily life. So he has the conscious decision of like, it's not allowed between these hours and these hours because we have to keep living the way that we live. We have to do collectively what we, we have always been, been doing. But there is a specific hour that we can transition, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing, you know, so they, they negotiate their place in society. So they make their own choices. And I think there's so much for us to learn. I cannot have internet for 12 hours of my day. I'll, I'll go crazy, you know. <laughs> I could do with some of that, someone turning it off and on my internet. <laughs> I would like someone to, to take this conscious decision of turning off my, 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 my router. But, but they have these agency and this this protagonism you know and it's amazing and they live in this in the indigenous territory of the shingu which is the one of the the biggest and and one of the first indigenous territories to be demarcated it was created in 1961 just before the military dictatorship in brazil and it's huge it's the size of belgium wow yeah it's massive there are 16 different communities living there. Some of them were moved into the, the, those territories because Brazil was... And what's, it, what's it like around the outside of that territory? Is it just ah, logging, it's, yeah, it's hunting, or farming, and cows and soy yeah. plantations? It, is, what's it, the... it really is an island. Yeah. All right. around it, all around this is, is deforestated. And then that, that island has just been chipped away. I mean, if it's the size of Belgium, it's just getting yeah, I'll, chipped I'll, and chipped. And that's why we it's important for us to, to actually preserve the indigenous mm. communities because we depend on those territories for everyone to exist, you know. Yeah, so absolutely. if they were not there, if there was no law protecting them, it, it would all be a farm. It would be, you know, people would be mining, logging, farming. So it's, it's, it's pretty scary. And there, there as I said, there are... 700 indigenous territories in brazil and the current govern government uh, as you I'm might have been reading what's, what's the situation with ah it's terrible it's yeah let me just get a quote here that i got from bolsonaro there, there's one sentence that bolsonaro said that hmm. it shows a lot that he says this is his own words indigenous peoples are evolving more and more they are becoming human being like us oh my gosh yeah, that's, you see, wow. this, this is what we have yeah. in power, you know, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it's, and he's actively, his government is actively working very hard to change the law, to make it possible to invade and steal indigenous lands for mining, logging, farming, for everything that we know. And 
He says that there are too few indigenous peoples with too much space to live in and that the forests are there to be explored. You know, Europe has destroyed its own lands, its own forests. So why we don't have the right to do the same? So this is, it's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, to come to your project, um, what, yeah. what's been the kind of goal of the work that you do in, yeah. this, in the Schengen region? And, and, and sort of how are you achieving this? And how are you working with the Kukuro? It always started, it, it, as I said, it, it, it was a journey. So it always started in 2014 when we were approached mm. by this uh, theatre company called Complicité. They are one of the most renowned theatre companies in the UK and in the world because they were doing the production of the play The Encounter. And it was about the first encounter of a photographer from the National Geographic uh, with, with the Mayuruna, which was an uncontacted tribe in the Amazon in the 60s. So they, knowing about the work that we do in Brazil, they asked us to produce uh, uh, a research and development trip to the Amazon forest mm -hmm. in 2014. And that's how we met Takuma Kuikuru. Takuma is a, he's an artist. He is a, this young indigenous filmmaker, and he does this incredible work of using his cinema skills, his cameras, to register the culture of his community. And uh, talking a little bit more about Takuma and, and the Kuikuru. So there are, the, Takuma lives in his own village, in the Kuikuru village, in the middle of the Shingu. There are 800 Kuikuru people only. So, mm. It's uh, not a huge community. It's not, it's not. And he understands the risk and the fragility of the culture and of the environment. And what he's trying to do is actually, he learned to film and to make cinema and to make documentaries so he can preserve the knowledge because he, he sees it's, it, it is disappearing every day. So we met Takuma and, and I think the basis of our work is about creating opportunities for the Kuikuru to dialogue. On, on, on equal terms with artists and, and cultural organizations in the world so that they can, they are the protagonists, they lead the documentation or preservation of their own culture. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, they create awareness for the indigenous cause and they generate income for the community so they can keep living in the village. And, mm -hmm. uh, and we have done various projects with them through these six years. And it, it all started, the first one was we, when we invited Takuma to do a residency in the UK. So we met him in Brazil and we make an invitation to him to come to do a residency in the UK for him to do a documentary about whatever. It was his first time abroad, you know, seeing another <laughs> culture. And he came to London. It, it was so interesting he, because he did a documentary about London called London as a Village. And he was... And he did a documentary about London in his own language because it wasn't for us. It's he wanted to show London to his own community, so it's okay. about it's like an inversion of the anthropological gaze. <laughs> you know, we tend yeah. to go there, take photos, and post on our Instagram. He did. Oh my God! I want. I need to film this for my own people. And he, yeah. he creates these narratives. The film is in his language. There are captions, of course, but he's showing. Oh my God! Look at this. This looks so much like that. You know, and mm -hmm. and. And, and it's, it was very interesting to see what he fell in love with while he was here, you know, things that what you wouldn't. So, for example, rugby. So okay. he saw rugby and he and he immediately made a parallel about the fighting that they have in the communities, the hookah, okay. because the young, young men in the community, they, they are warriors. And part of the celebrations, they have to fight each other. And it was exactly mm -hmm. like the rugby. He also, <laughs> yeah, 
So he, he didn't care about the London Eye, he didn't care about the Big Ben. He, he thought it was crazy. Like, yeah, yeah so I don't like that. But he really, another thing that really caught his attention was people living on the boats in the canal. Because he never mm. imagined, like, can, people can leave. Oh, my God, they are living their houses on top of the water. Mm. So he really, and, yeah. Are they a community that fish and are I, they near water? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was really impressed by that. And it was very interesting because we managed to, I was producing, so we managed to get him to actually talk to people living in the boats. And he discovered the whole sense of community, the activism about living on the, in the boats here. And he was very much making this parallel to, to the indigenous fight, you know, how do you occupy a space, the right for you to occupy a land in the middle of, you know, in the middle of the city and all of that. So yeah. wow. it was a really interesting exploration for him. And then at the end of his of this residency, he approached us and said, can we create an artist, an, an arts residency program in the village, similar to what you have allowed me to do? You know, I, I came here. Can we organize a way in which international artists can come to my community and support me documenting using different techniques, different technologies and things that I don't know so we can document my community in different ways. And then we thought this was a brilliant idea. And it, and they, in the community, they created, they built a traditional house, which okay, I can send you a photo afterwards. Please do. Yeah. So they built a traditional house to become a residency center. So nobody lived in that house. It's just for artists to go there visit and stay living in the same way and yeah. do workshops, do whatever, you know, training, work there. People come, come for what, weeks, months? And what's yeah, no, the... We, the thing is, it's a very cross, uh, very uh, controlled experiment because mm. we learn together as well how, you know, we did three visits so far because we are, we are a, a research center. So mm. we, we are a not-for-profit organization. So we don't have, so, so we apply for funding to actually deliver the, the research that we do. So we managed to get three different grants uh, uh, to deliver this project. So we have learned that ideally the visit shouldn't last more than two weeks, two weeks max, because there is, is so much, there's so much interference of our presence in the daily lives, you know, mm -hmm. and we always do it with groups of people. So we would invite between no more than 10 artists, for example, and they're so, really just, I guess, they're spending their whole day out in the community trying to see yeah. what's going on. And yeah, yeah. Soak it in. So of course, people are going to change their patterns when exactly. someone like yeah. that's around. Yeah. And there are different ways. And, 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 and what we learned as well, what works if, what works best, uh, what they are interested in, because they, they, are, they have total protagonism in what we are doing in that sense. So we are not arriving there with the ideas of what we want to do. The thing is, all the artists that have been on the journey with us, they have in kind came to the community with their technology or, or, or their expertise and say like, I'm here at the service of the Kuikuru. What do you want to do with what we got? What, you know? So, and then, and Takuma is a filmmaker. So he's, he, you know, the community is very interested in the technological side. So we realized that what they, it would be interesting because he documents in 2D, you know. So would it be interesting for us to bring 3D technologies into the community? Would it be interesting to bring virtual reality, augmented reality, uh, laser scanning, photogrammetry, new techniques? So in one of the visits, we actually created a 360-degree chroma studio, and we're mm -hmm. filming and creating holograms of them 
talking, telling stories about the objects that were part of an exhibition, for example. So, so it's always about trying to to respond to 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 their request. It wouldn't work bringing a, a theater maker maybe to the community mm. to do workshops on or photography, for example. This is you know they already painters. And it's, it's 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 all is it all the technological. It's yeah. I I, I think we have learned through these years that this is what engages better. This is what you know people want to to learn in the community. So you can come back to an exhibition in London exactly. or anywhere else and you can have people walking around and they can see or they have well, if they put the VR on themselves they can see exactly. an object they're looking at and then an actual you know resident of Kukuro back in Brazil talking about that said object. Exactly. Yeah so we did one of the exhibitions that we did we did a pilot for that it was at the Horniman Museum in 2018. That museum's in in South London. So we we went we we invited the one of the anthropologists of the museum and one of the curators of the World Gallery to go to the Shingo with us and then the Horniman as partners they they gave us a space for us to do an exhibition because they already had some some objects and some artifacts of the of the community from their old collection in the museum. So we experimented. Can we do an exhibition that talks to a different audience, a young audience, sort of erasing the role of the curator, of the anthropologist saying, this is the glass that they use to drink, <laughs> and actually let them decide which objects they would like to have in an exhibition, which stories they wanted to say. So what we did was we arrived with the technology, with the idea, and they, and, and we, ha we made an exhibition about the Kuikuro that had a football, a football shirt, a motorbike. Messi. You walk yeah. into this museum. And you're like, what are we going to see today? A Messi shirt. <laughs> one, one of the kids is called Messi. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And so there was a motorbike. There was this, and so and, and of course there were the, the the super valuable traditional objects in display. But the message that they want to say is this is this is valuable to me. It's my iPad. It's also it's very valuable to me. This headpiece, which means I'm warrior now. You know. So the whole experience was that we brought indigenous people to come here to talk to the kids because the Horniman is a very family-oriented museum. So they brought here so people had the opportunity to meet the Kukuru to talk about that. They went through a journey. And then those objects were animated by augmented reality. So you would see the, the football shirt, for example. And then once you do that, you would see a guy or a girl actually playing football. Because yeah, they want to like, yeah, we have women playing as well, you know, <laughs> and the motorbike. Step ahead. Exactly. <laughs> and, and and the motorbike, the story behind the motorbike, I love it. Was about they have the, they have motorbikes there, and it mm. was about one of the one of it was a couple, a young couple. The girl is pregnant, and he was saying like she lived in another village, which is I don't know two hours from here, and I only met her because of the motorbike. So I used to visit her on motorbike. Now she's pregnant. We're getting married. You know, yeah. so this is so mind-breaking. It, it breaks all of our perceptions and creates okay. that engagement okay. and that connection with someone living so far and so remotely and so isolated in a different place in the world. And it puts your their problem into a different perspective. Exactly. You are we we are the same, you know, we are here yeah. together. We are living with very different problems in very different situations, but we, we have the same ambitions in life, we have the same 
desires and it yeah. kind of reminds me i mean i didn't get to experience it but the, the way you're talking about it is like if i ever watch an old black and white movie and recently they've been able to to to, to make them in color that transition makes me relate to that situation and that person and, and there's so much more i'm like wait what it breaks that looks mind, like a, you know it just looks like a, a mate or something right it's yeah. so i can totally see how, how you know rather than just having an anthropologist like you said showing all these hand hand carved and delicate objects and these are very delicate people and we need to keep them protected and shielded it's like actually no we have all it, of these modern conveniences and we just sort of live both in in a, in a nice rounded way yeah and it also breaks i think the ownership of the discourse which i think it's very interesting they define themselves it's not someone else that is studied blah, 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 and saying this is what they are this is what they do you know they are they they have the ownership of saying what they want who they are where they want to go and all of that this is the key i think and so so i think our work is very much bringing these people together you know it's creating those encounters those meetings that that would never exist you know and trying to make sure that those experiences are balanced they respect the fragility of the community of the environment that we are not interfering too much in you know in the daily life of the community but at the same time we are creating a, a, a incredible international network for the kwikuru and uh yeah it generates income for the community you know there's a great international exposure and and i can say that because of our work with them and and, and how it has developed and everything that we have delivered so uh, we have done exhibitions in 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 london we have done an exhibition at the tate modern with Madrid, New York. We are going to be next year at the Venice Biennale. So it's massive. And they are becoming international players on the debate about the Amazon as well, about the mm. conservation of the Amazon. You know, it's about providing voice and visibility for them. We are bringing them into this, this into the narrative. We are, we are allowing them to, you know, to participate in these discussions. I think that's, that's the key. And, and, and that reminds me a lot about what, what you've been discussing with me at Unleash in China um, and your solution for the um, for the competition, we call it the competition, mm. and it's actually what kind of inspired me to do this podcast in many ways, but that was that you wanted to create this global platform to create a voice, and I, I, won't, I won't talk more about it, I'll let you um, sort of maybe dive into the details, but yeah, thank you for the very kind words. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I already talked a little bit about my idea in, in other words, but but mm -hmm. it comes from the need of recognition that there is, we need to recognize there's very little opportunity for indigenous communities to tell their stories on their own way. You know, the lack of their voice in the public arena is one of the reasons that leads to marginalization, you know. And policies that can just be pushed through without pushback. Absolutely. No... They have no saying. They have very little saying on, on, on the decision makings that affect their lives. You know? mm -hmm. So I think this is, we need to break the cycle, you know. So our project was called Oka. Uh, Oka is the Portuguese word for traditional indigenous house. Mm -hmm. And it's a, in, in a very simple way, it's a TED inspired platform for indigenous speakers. So mm -hmm. It's, it's like, it's like a, a stage for them to spread their ideas, their practices, the technologies, to tell the stories that they want to tell to the world, but, but from a power position, you know, inverting mm. that power dynamics. 
you know. So it's 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 basically. Are you pursuing? Are you actively pursuing Orca? Where's Orca? In a way, yeah, Orca. Yeah, I think yeah. So I think it's basically amplifying the voice, the voices in 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 the global stage. But I've I've been thinking a lot about Orca because I think our ideas of the Orca have been very affected by what's going on now with the COVID and the pandemic. Mm. You know, mm. and I think this is a very dangerous moment for us. In I can talk more about the pandemic, but I think that there is a there is a moment in history when I was telling you about the history of indigenous people in Brazil. You know, just just a frame of that. I think over the past fifty years, there is a whole work uh, being done by these indigenous communities of 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 growing of strengthening their con their their connections and of taking over that protagonism that i say in their own history you know they are thriving you know they're not surviving anymore they're thriving you know they have mm -hmm. political power there are indigenous journalists there are indigenous activists there are indigenous doctors politicians you know they have their own media they, they they have you know i don't know the percentage but there are so many indigenous people in universities they have indigenous anthropologists you know mm -hmm. this is all because of the amazing achievement but in the moment that the pandemic comes i i am very afraid that it might subvert that empowerment and become a more assistentialistic you know they need our help they need our support yeah, so yeah. so i think there is I, I, I don't know. This is what we are, we are doing with the Kuikuru right now. So, so, so. What's the situation? I mean, yeah. it's kind of diving into the. Exactly. The pandemic, but I think it is, is interesting to hear as well. What is the situation for the Kuikuru right now? In, so the Kuikuru right now, they are isolated. So there is no cases, there are no confirmed cases of, of, of COVID in the Shingu at the moment. Uh, but they are, they are incredibly aware of the situation and very scared. Because historically, they have, you know, these communities have been decimated by virus, you know. So they have closed the roads that connect their villages to the cities. And no one is allowed in or out the village without a serious reason to do that. They are building a house to quarantine people who needs to go in and out of the village. So, so they're fully aware of the situation. And they are also monitoring. The, the, it's, there are some young people that are being trained with a sort of a GPS and an app system to track and monitoring, monitor the symptoms that might appear uh, with mm -hmm. members of the village. And, uh, and all of this is because they have very little access to medical care. You know, they have one basic health unit in the village. They have one trained nurse. If the viewers get there, it can be devastating. A respirator is just non-existent. No, it, it's non-existing. So the best thing for them right now is isolating. And what we are doing, so we had to stop. We, my organization, we had to stop thinking about, you know, I think change a little bit of the focus of our work right now to actually support the community in the way that we're doing, you know, to get them through this this moment. So what we're doing is we we part we because of the network of artists that we got, we we sort of created this fundraising campaign that was connected to the restreaming of the encounter play. And we have fundraising. We managed to fundraise twenty-two thousand pounds, which is an incredible oh, amount nice. of work. Yeah, oh. yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible amount of money with our networks. And we are, we are using this money to we we have set up. They have set up a way in which we can buy the supplies that they need from the city, and mm -hmm. they transport whatever you know whatever they buy. They, they normally need hy uh, hygiene and medical 
items, basic food baskets, petrol because they use it for fishing, the diesel for the generator. So it's things that are extremely necessary for them, for them not to need, so they don't need to go to the city. And all of these items are being brought by a truck to the river. It gets into a motorboat and and it sails 200 kilometers through the river. And then one person from the community goes to the margin of the river, collect stuff, bring into the village. So we we try to minimize the risk of exposure. Of course, this is cost money. They are not working in the city. During, so they have no money, you know, and they cannot go to the city to get money from their bank account, you know. So this is the work that we are doing right now, you know, uh, is, is trying to support uh, that isolation. Yeah, so they can stay there because we have no idea how the virus will behave, you know. It's, it's an incredibly tricky one because how long can that, you know, what last? Yeah, and the long-term strategies, but then you can you can scale that up to, to countries like New Zealand, which have just completely isolated themselves. Yeah. They yeah. they are now you know they have no community transmission. Yeah. They're opening up their society internally, quite like this village. Yeah. But then New Zealand are also in a situation where it's like, well, what, what what happens in the long term? And I guess that's unknown on so many fronts. But this is definitely the best from from what I've seen from global political leaders doing. I mean, I think. Yeah. Well, we really... don't have a leader in Brazil, is it? We have, a, we have. Takuma said one one sentence that uh, I think it's a genius. Mm. Uh, is that Bolsonaro is the virus before the virus, and this is. <laughs> when is uh, he up for election? When he's up in three years' time. Three years. Oh, in okay. One year only in power. Yeah, and and short I got... time. I feel like a lot's happened in a year. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And he's working in partnership with the virus too. Yeah. But can I just say one thing that I think about the indigenous people as well, because I got this number and I think this is quite impressive. So you understand the picture as well. Today, 61 out of the 305 groups, today, 25th of May, 61 communities out of the 305 already have infections in their communities. So okay. 130 indigenous people have died already which is not a massive number so mm. far compared to the scale of Brazil. But the Amazonas estate, which is where the majority of the Amazon forest is, uh, it's, it's where about one-fifth of the indigenous people live, is being the most affected one. And there is, and the fatality rate of the virus within indigenous people is double. It's at 12.6%. It's double. It's doubled. Because, it's very, because, because they are far from hospitals. They have no basic infrastructure in the villages and they have this very communal way of living. You know, people live in the same household, they eat together, they work mm -hmm. together. So the, the, the capacity of the, of the transmission, you can't isolate with it. The communities can isolate themselves, but you can't isolate that sense of individuality that we have here. You shut your door of your bedroom and you don't need to see anyone. It doesn't exist, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And okay. and I got this number, which I thought is so scary. It's the average distance between indigenous villages and the nearest ICU is 315 kilometers. Gosh, you wouldn't even make it with a plane. That's like... <laughs> and, 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 yeah. that, and how do you how, how do you cross this 300? It's by yeah, boat, by plane, by how, how? Yeah. Uh, so it's a recipe for a genocide, you know. Uh, so it's, it's, it's very scary. Where do, you see, where do you see the... Have you seen any changes in policy towards corona? Positive in, changes? Brazil. Not really, no. We lost our, we had a change, 
we have a change of ministry. The, the health minister, he, he resigned less than a month. Well, he stayed in power for less than a month. So we had two changes of health ministers at the moment. Now we have a military in power. Uh, Bolsonaro is still convincing the population that, uh, how do you say it, hydroxychloroquine, the oh my god the one that yes. Trump exactly we have a Trump it's a Trump it's it's worse than Trump it's yeah. it's exactly that you know he's going to public manifestations and demonstrations in the street when we should be in lockdown he's actually inciting people to go to the streets uh, he said so he, no he called the virus a, a, a little flu he said oh it's just a little flu so there's no lockdown there is lockdown because uh, there the, there is a whole situation in in, in which. Uh, mayors, mayors, oh, okay. and 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 governors in states are going against Bolsonaro. It's yeah. really scary. Yeah. Um, do you think there's any positives that that you could maybe share with uh, anyone listening on the future of? I do. I think there is. I I I was looking through my notes here because I've been, you know, this is this is a very. It's something that means so much to me, the work with Indigenous communities. I've been so transformed since it all started. So I've been to so many, you know, I've been, I, I, I've been reading a lot, participating a lot. I've been, I had the honor to translate so many Indigenous speakers when they come to the UK. And, mm. and, uh, and I, I think there are, I think, I think it would be good to say that I think there are three, three ways that we can all, the community in general, anyone can actually support Mm-hmm. The indigenous fight. So I think it. Yeah, I think the first one is, is strengthening and supporting indigenous association in and initiatives. So if you can promote, oh, donate, no. invest, work with them, consume from them. You know, do you have, do you have names can, that you? Can I can say yeah. I I can send a lot of links to you. Okay, well, I'll put these, these will all be below. So, yeah. So I think all of that is really important. You know. So if we can support indigenous leaders, activists, doctors, politicians, journalists, anthropologists, all of them, they mm. must be supported. You know. And mm. it's not us finding a solution. I think it's allow them to thrive. You know. And I think we can do. We can demand from our own governments as 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 citizens. We can put pressure. On, on governments and companies to to be more strict with international agreements with Brazil right now in regards to human rights, indigenous rights, environmental policies. So m- m- the majority of the mining companies in the world are in northern countries here in Europe. So I think we can. And of course, as well, ensuring visibility, you know, making sure that, you know, they are invited to these discussions, that they have their presence in the mainstream, in the news, mm-hmm. in policymaking, in debating, in film festivals in publishing in you know all of that everything that creates visibility and that sense of responsibility you know uh, that we have we co- we coexist in the same planet you know there's there's no future for us without them you know they are i think it, it, it's it's important as well to say that they are our best allies in the fight for climate crisis they safeguard 20% of the the land and the water in the planet and that equals 80 percent of the whole the whole world's biodiversity so <laughs> every fifth glass of water that you drink james comes from the amazon it doesn't come from the amazon but you know that's it it's 20 percent it. of the world's fresh water is in the amazon you know so if they are gone their lens is gone the forests are gone we are gone totally and and the loads of other interesting points there i mean like the amazon rainforest itself is 
it's, it's a self-feeding system. Yeah, because so much evapotranspiration going on as you know rain or, or water evaporates, it, it then rains again, and it kind of just keeps feeding itself. And if if that shrinks to a certain size, it's not going to be feeding itself anymore because you've got the Andes on one side, and then the huge chunking landmass of the Brazil on the other side. Um, and it would just slowly desertify and turn into something horrible if we really cut away it enough. And I think what you said about, um, you know, the actions we can do for the indigenous people, I think there's even other smaller things that people could consider, like the where their food comes from or exactly. what kind of, you know, products they consume in any regard, like it could be clothing or it could be yeah, other foodstuffs or it could be technology. But yeah. really shortening your own your own supply chain of things that you consume. Absolutely, uh, yeah. I think creating this critical awareness is essential, you know. I think it, it is essential that everything that we consume has an effect, a direct effect. And they are on the front line of all of that. You know, they survive on the river that is, is you know, that is, is, is being polluted. It, it's, it's crazy when you are there and you see that all of that nature and you hear from them that actually you see the planes passing through the the territory and did just dropping pesticides in the forest what yes because oh. yeah like there's a this constant threat of mm. invasion and of you know so one guy like bolsonaro can actually damage and if the shingu the shingu has a very specific because the, the shingu is the basin of, of the amazon so it's it's proven it's scientifically proven that if if the shingu disappears half of the Amazon disappears as well because the ecosystem, as, as you said, it, it feeds itself. So mm -hmm. if that specific land, which is already shrank to its limit, you know, to the, it, yeah. if it disappears, the, the, it's going to be catastrophic. Yeah. Trouble. It's a lot of carbon that's being stored and a lot exactly. of potential mitigation and sequestration of different carbon gases from the atmosphere. And yeah, like you said, biodiversity and just, general care for our planet is um it's, yeah. it's horrible to hear but also very nice to hear that there's a lot of great people out there like yourself trying to do your bit to give to give a voices to they are doing they are doing <laughs> but can I, you're I, collaborating you're collaborating i am support yeah exactly yeah so i think i think there's so much that we can learn in in you know it's because we are so disassoci dissociated from our relationship with nature with with the environment with the air with do you ever do you ever personally want to just Cut it all off and go and live more closer to nature and leave London and ditch I, the... You know, to be honest... Ditch the Hawaiian shirts and the... I am. <laughs> I do, but I don't yet. I do. yeah. yeah, I think it's very difficult, man. I think it's, it, yeah. you know, we are so used... We, we, are, we are part of this. I, you know, I would like to, but at the mm. same time, I somehow feel that I have a, a role in being here as well. I know that I, I, I want to, to be able to use the hours and the work and the connections that I have to actually inflict some change somehow and, and reflection and, you know, I don't want to isolate myself. Of course, I do miss nature. I lived in a house when I was in Brazil, so I had that all of that connection with the soil, with the trees and blah, blah, blah. I'm not, you know, I wasn't raised on a, on a flat. So I have that connection. But I, at the moment, I think I have, something to give here and i it's interesting as well because i lots of, of people ask me like why are you doing this in the uk and not in brazil you know why, why i also think that i i think i have more not space but i can make more of a difference being here and talking to people that don't know about that reality here and 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 
and accessing grants and accessing money and making in, you know these kinds of connection here than I would have there. You know, open a port. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. Oh well, Thiago, it's been so good to have you on this um, you. conversation. And, um, Thank you. I had a great time. Awesome. Take care, man. Thanks for listening to the STG Talks podcast. Make sure to check out all the show notes for relevant links from this show. Please share and follow STG Talks on social media and stay tuned for updates from the Unleash and United Nations community. The goal of STG Talks is to bring you value. So if you want to learn about something specific or have suggestions, please let us know. We look forward to seeing you next time on STG Talks.